Jordan Bates doesn't know shit podcast. Uh, hello, bonjour, aloha, hola, anyazeo, to all human listeners and non-human listeners. If this uh, file makes it into the deep future and uh, some extraterrestrials with whom we make contact discover it, or perhaps we could already be in contact with extraterrestrials, they might be listening right now. I mean, I can't actually, I can't actually know that. Just like I can't know a whole lot of things. I mean, uh, theoretically, I could know that if I were friends with some government officials or something. Um, I could potentially know whether we've actually made contact with aliens and they're, like, watching our world. But, now, don't get me wrong. I, uh, this isn't going to be, like, uh, some kind of crackpot conspiracy theorist podcast. I don't, uh, I don't really read much into conspiracies about the potentiality of us having contacted aliens, um, I don't dismiss the possibility, because it, that's, it's more apt to say that there are many, many things which I cannot dismiss, because I have no, um, scientific evidence that they're not true. I have, my life has been somewhat of an experiment to find out if they are true, and there, so far there are no conclusive hypotheses, nothing has been falsified. Um, for instance, you know, various paranormal experiences or children who claim to have memories of past lives and then lead their parents to, like, hidden spots where there's a key in some old farmhouse or something, or scientists, neuroscientists who have near-death experiences and claim to have seen the light, shit like that, you know, aliens, contact with aliens, these sorts of things I I cannot conclusively disprove, and so I don't know about them, I leave the possibility open, but uh, anyway, that was an interesting tangent to start this, the new uh, Jordan Bates Doesn't Know Shit podcast, Um, the primary reason I wanted to start this podcast, well, there are multiple reasons. Actually, a good friend of mine, Chris Johnson, and I um, tried to record a podcast uh, several months ago. This must have been, I guess, six or eight months ago now, which is crazy. Uh, Shout out to Chris. I love you. Uh, One of my best friends. Um, Chris and I tried to record a podcast, and... We recorded a few episodes, and they range from pretty damn interesting and insightful to, holy shit, we were uh, maybe a little bit uh, intoxicated on uh, beer and or certain aromas of the life sphere, and our podcast degenerated into uh, some straight up babble, and actually I kind of want to share those episodes with you guys too, because it's a human moment, you know, I say that in one of the podcasts, it's when we record a bunch of dumb shit, and we're like, oh my god, what are we doing, this podcast is really fucking lame, like, nobody's gonna want to listen to this, like, what what do we do, that's like a behind the scenes thing, thing, behind the scenes thing, that gives you an idea of A long pause there, lost my train of thought a little bit, but it's like a behind-the-scenes thing that gives you an idea of, you know, what a creative process is actually like, because creativity is messy, you know? Creativity is not a genius sitting down and just painting a fresco, and it ends up perfect, and it adorns the Sistine Chapel for eight millennia, and people gawk, and balk and are like, you know, art and creativity, um, involve a lot of like messing around, thrashing around, making mistakes and just diving into shit to see what happens. And then, you know, from that you often surprise yourself because things do start to happen and things wonderful things start to arise, and those can develop into certain final products, um, edit 
edit, edit. This is a uh, future Jordan Bates who was not just talking, just jumping in to say that I just uh, stated that there are certain final products that arise. I should just, this is almost like a footnote, I should just note that, of course, uh, no art, no work uh, is necessarily ever finished, and if you have a quote-unquote final product, it's not necessarily finished. I just meant final product within the context of the, it, it, once you've released something to the public, you have, in a sense, released a version of something, and at least that version will forever be uh, viewed as a, as what was the final product at that moment. But, you know, you could continue revising that for the rest of your life, theoretically. I don't think I'd want to do that, but you know, someone like Walt Whitman with his Leaves of Grass, it became a lifelong opus that he continually revised. So anyway, that was just a tiny footnote. Uh, now back to the podcast. And things, wonderful things start to arise, and those can develop into certain final products that the public will eventually see, and the public's primary perspective on art, then, is only the final stage of a long process, and Art is really ultimately more about that process, in certain people's opinions, than it is about that final product. And if nothing else, that process is really important, but is often overlooked. And so, I think it would be interesting to share a couple of the episodes of Chris Johnson and I's basically thrashing around in the in the early waters of podcasting. We're getting our feet wet. We really didn't know what we were doing. We were... It was late in the evening, most of the time, we were in this loft in Oakland, California, just drinking beers and, you know, maybe feeling a little, a little, uh, a little gnarly in one way or another, and, uh, we just started talking, and it was interesting because the MacBook Eye, as I might call it, or the microphone eye, the blue light of the microphone, or the glow of the MacBook screen, introduced an unexpected element into Chris and I's interaction. Um, it was uh, the symbolic eye of everyone who would be watching or listening to our attempts at... Uh, at, at doing something, you know, our attempts at creating a decently halfway worthwhile podcast. And uh, as it turns out, having that symbolic eye present and, uh, you know, however many people would one day come to see this, uh, maybe maybe 17, maybe 1700, uh, that, you know, I think that introduced an unforeseen variable into the dynamic that uh, created some interesting conversations and some rather self-conscious and deliberately disruptive and rebellious kind of jerk response reactions to this third party who was uh, sitting around in the room with us, <clears throat> which were really interesting. And, you know, we just kind of ended up just bullshitting and being silly for a couple of those episodes. And so... I think I'm going to include those um, after this first one. I think this this first one I'm going to share is, I think, um, quite it's it's probably the best one that we did. If best is defined as most coherent, uh, most intellectual, most relevant, most interesting, you know. If best is defined as most human and silly and um, revealing of certain shadow aspects of an internet persona that isn't often seen in other mediums, you know, maybe some of the other episodes are better. Um, but this episode, I, I think, is really interesting. Um, <clears throat> a big part of what it's about is, um, well... You know, I don't even want to say exactly what it's about. I, I just want you to listen to it. And so, with that, I will say, yeah, hello all first-time podcast listeners. Uh, my name is Jordan Bates. I 
create a website called refinethemind.com. I also make rap songs. You can find uh, at lostboyevsky.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com backslash lostboyevsky. That's L-O-S-T-B-O-Y-E-V-S-K-Y. I'm never going to spell that again, so that's the one time you guys get to hear a spelling. Actually, who knows? I probably will because people are like, the fuck is Lost Boyevsky? Lost Boyevsky is a mashup of the Russian novelist and philosopher Dostoyevsky. He was like an existentialist and kind of a precursor to Nietzsche, who I really like. His book Crime and Punishment is one of my favorite novels, if not my favorite. Definitely the most haunting novel I've ever read. So anyway, I like that guy. And it's, it's his name matched up with, like, the Lost Boys <coughs> from Peter from the Peter Pan universe. So, you know, which I kind of view the Lost Boys to me are, um, you know, ne- never grow up, stay forever, a child. They're kind of symbolic of uh, a certain attitude toward life, which tries to retain the freedom and playfulness and silliness and wonder um, that one has as a child, and so, yeah, basically, I know what you're thinking, this guy gave way too much thought to his rap moniker, but, yeah, I totally did, because I was like, well, if I'm gonna start releasing some rap music, I'm gonna be stuck with this name, and I mean, you know, you can change names and shit, like, Milo's had, like, fucking, whatever, 18 different rap monikers, and, uh, before him, Cool Keith. Del the Funky Homo Sapien, MF Doom, all these guys have used all sorts of different rap monikers. But the initial one, and the one that people come to know you by best, is going to stick with you. And so, yeah, I gave it a lot of thought, and I thought Lost Boyevsky was a pretty cool name. At this point, I'm not as, I'm a little more disenchanted with it. It seems a little, maybe a little too, maybe a little too cute, or I've just heard it too many times now. It also doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue, Lost Boyevsky, uh, you know, it's because Dostoy- Dostoevsky is like a Russian name, Russian is not exactly a musical language, doesn't exactly caress the ears, it's uh, kind of a harsh language, so anyway, you know, for whatever reason, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going on tangents, you can see and get an idea that this is what my podcast is going to be like, <clears throat> before I launch into this episode with Chris, I wanted to say, I just remembered that I had started this podcast by saying that there were several reasons I wanted to do a podcast, and one of those was that I had already recorded a few conversations with my good friend Chris Johnson, and other reasons for that are that I've also recorded some kind of experimental, solo, almost Reggie Watts-esque freestyle banter type things, and I'd like to release those too, just throw those out into the void because I think they're... uh, (laughs) interesting artifacts that maybe some random internet people or fans of my other work might appreciate for anyone who's like, I don't know, deep into the shit I create for whatever crazy reason, um, probably give you some even wilder, deeper insight into my, uh, decidedly weird mind, um, yeah, so there's that, and there's also the fact that I actually, for a while, have wanted to start doing more interviews with people, and I wish I'd done this sooner, because I've met, I've met some fucking crazy cool people, I, I'm gonna just throw that out there, like, I've, I really know some awesome humans, and I should have been interviewing them all this time, it's really easy to sit down, like, I have conversations with people all the time, if I just have a microphone, it's hella easy to just fucking push that button for an hour of conversation or half an hour, whatever it is, and just throw that up as a podcast. Cause I know a lot of people like to listen to podcasts. And so this, you know, gives, would give people <clears throat> another outlet or not an outlet, another window through which to view my mind and my life. If you're interested in my perspective and shit, because you know, I don't know. I'm interested in plenty of people's perspectives, so maybe somebody's interested in mine. I feel like the internet, as the late Terrence McKenna kind of described it, um, is ideally this kind of museum where different people put their consciousness on display and say, hey, this is my consciousness, This is these are the artifacts that have come out of it. Um, 
I, I, I offer you my friendship. I, I extend to you the right to explore the contours of my consciousness. Maybe you'll find something valuable there. Maybe you won't. You know, it's just a, it's kind of a large database of different people's consciousnesses. And I'm like, uh, yeah, if you hadn't guessed, I'm all about that. I upload my consciousness to the interwebs frequently, and I enjoy doing so very much. Um, and I, I really enjoy that so many other people enjoy that too, because it gives me all sorts of crazy insight into the world mind at the moment, the collective consciousness of humanity in this present historical moment, 2016, in which we find ourselves. Um, I love exploring the deep caverns of the internet for insight into humanity, the present state of the world, and just how people's minds work, and all sorts of stuff like that. And, you know, maybe, if I'm lucky, uh, a little bit of wisdom here or there that I can ascertain. And, you know, I, I like to share the things I come upon with other people, and I, I simply like to share things. And I, sharing might not be the best word. I like to create art. You know, art's kind of a, a little bit, I don't know, maybe a little bit bourgeois, lofty of a term. You know, I'm not trying to say, like, who oh, I'm an artist, yes. But you know, I really kind of adhere to this ideal, or not adhere to it, but I hold it fairly firmly that art is for everyone. Art is not some, you know, highfalutin thing. It's art is literally you sitting down and for a bit ceasing to consume things and instead creating things, letting the signals within yourself emerge and come out and intermingle in the thought space. And, you know, maybe those signals you create could be meaningful to someone else or make someone else feel less alone or help them understand themselves better uh, or, or or turn them into a little bit uh, deeper, more compassionate person. You know, those might all be decent outcomes of something like creating art. But even if all of that stuff doesn't happen, it's still decidedly therapeutic to create things. It's, I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in creating things. I feel like it's, it's a change of, it's a change of orientation toward the world. What do I have to contribute? And I, and I, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fundamental belief that you yourself have something to contribute. You know, you've been gathering information and data in your brain for however long, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I don't know who's listening to this, and with, with all of that, you've synthesized all sorts of perspectives and ways of understanding and modes of being and, you know, just ways of looking at the world, and or if you haven't synthesized them yet, there's much that you could synthesize purely based on the data you've already gathered as a human instrument moving through the world. And so, pardon me. <clears throat> and so, you've gathered all this data, and you could create things, and creating things is therapeutic to you. And so, you should. You should just try it. And if it's for you, it's for you. If it's not, it's not. But I'm a big believer in creating things. And so here I am creating something new. Um, it is a podcast. I'm, I'm going to be including Chris and I's original dialogues. I'm going to be including just spontaneous bursts of things in the form of, as I said, Reggie Watts-esque babble and freestyles. And I'm going to hopefully, hopefully be interviewing some interesting people. One of the people on the commune on which I'm currently staying, I talked to the other night. She wrote a book called What is Death? And she actually has been living in on communes since the 70s. I think she said her original commune was established in 1969 and that since then she's been living on communes. And I think three of the other people at this commune also were part of that original commune of hers back way back then. So this group has been living a kind of lifestyle that is contrary to the general cultural momentum for um, 46 years or so, 47 years. 
that to me is pretty insane and just talking to her briefly i know she has a lot of interesting stories and wisdom to share so i'd love to interview her and she seemed open to it so i might do that there are other people here who are also really interesting who i might want to interview and i just i i find everyone interesting so any friends of mine you know i think they've got things to say i want to interview them i'm just going to you know throw on the microphone for half an hour have a conversation and i can throw it up here and maybe people can be- can benefit from it so yeah that's kind of where i'm at with that and i hope you enjoy this spontaneous and you know sometimes serious sometimes silly uh, glimpse into one person's very human and very incomplete perspective on the universe peace also wait shit there was one more thing i should have mentioned if you happen to appreciate the thoughts of chris johnson in this podcast which i think many people will because chris chris is one of the smartest people i know and he has some really interesting thoughts about the state of the world at present Uh, He's actually a software engineer. He was a software engineer for Metro Mile. Uh, Maybe some of you know the company. Up until recently when uh, he quit to go on his own into the consultancy world. He's been there before, but he's going back into the consultancy world with some other friends of mine who are starting a consultancy called Koan Labs in San Francisco. So if you happen to have um, some big software projects that you need accomplished and you have a lot of money, you should hit up those guys because they're some of the smartest motherfuckers I know and I know they'll deliver some crazy good products. But anyway, I was just going to say that if you're interested in Chris's thoughts, um, you can go to cjohnson.io, which is Chris's website, to look at his blog. I'm, I know the website's been up and down for the last like year. It's been offline sometimes. I'm not sure if it's up right now, but... Just write that down if you're interested in Chris's thoughts, and when it's up again, you can read his blog, which has some cool insights. You could also probably find him um, in my list of Facebook friends if you wanted to. Probably be hard to just find a random Chris Johnson on Facebook, but if you search Chris Johnson and you're my mutual friend, which you should be, (laughs) I want to befriend the world now. Uh, yeah, if you're friends with me and you search Chris Johnson, you should be able to find him, and he also posts interesting things on Facebook, and if you want to follow him on Twitter or some shit, just hit me up, I'm not sure if he wants his Twitter handle made public, so anyway, that's what I wanted to say, Chris Johnson, good, smart, human, follow his thinking, bye. Broadcasting live from the fucking Otter Den. All right, we're officially live and recording oh, from the, the dark loft in the Walden 2.0 cabin here in Oakland, California. The dark loft that we got the green light working. There's a like yeah, awesome green glow in my room, which is another name for this room. Is where I sleep too. Yeah, this is Chris's room, but really it's it's sort of like a secret blanket fort that you built like in the back of your parents' living room or something and just hiding in your little cubby because I feel very safe and secure up here and very... Well, you're not. Know. You're not <laughs> safe and secure. Everything's going to shit, including America and everything you know and love. So just a comforting illusion. Everything you see around you is just kind of there for your mental security more than anything else. Just, uh, uh, could you elaborate on how things are going to shit, sir? I mean, uh, I say that's a pretty bold claim. Pretty to make. obvious, I feel like to pretty much anyone. Make it about shit. It's all doomed. I mean, come to that conclusion pretty quickly when you look at pretty much any thing that's in the world. Yeah, it's uh, it's doomed. <laughs> yeah. What is your opinion of like the idea that? we will continue to develop technology at such a fast rate that we'll That's be able terrible. to engineer solutions We're to be the able disasters. To of... Amazing new hydrogen bombs <laughs> with all sure. the science and technology. Yeah. They're making robots right now, like Yeah, no, I agree. Robots. I mean I think it was like Noam Chomsky who said something about like a hammer is pretty neutral. A hammer can be used to drive a nail or it can be used to bash someone's skull in and so you know, that's basically like 
We could build. Yeah, we could build favorable. Sure. We could build favorable technology. It's just a tool, but you're thinking that our dumb yeah. impulses will be more likely to guide the future of technology rather than a I don't know save the planet attitude or whatever. Um, there's also hammers that can completely control your access to information about the outside world and form your opinions on things and completely totally dominate you. I don't know, we've we've reached a point where like there's so many smart people working on algorithms to figure out how to basically manipulate you into buying their kind of products and like putting everything, you know, like all your all your precious data about your life, you know, like all your memories and photos and like and basically everything that like makes up your life. I was thinking about this the other day. I like have the total amount of shit on my Facebook like all the conversations I've had with all my close friends. Imagine we have like a unique opportunity that no one else has had in the history of humanity. Where like we could <clears throat> totally just when we're eighty or like ninety, like on our deathbeds, we can like read our Facebook posts from when we were like eighteen, you know? Like we have an incredible amount of detail about our lives that we basically trust these huge faceless corporations that are entirely ruthless at yeah, exporting say, all of your data do ex- for as do much profit to... as, po- as possible. <laughs> That's just, like, one aspect. I mean, it's like any anywhere you look at society is just ter- terribly doomed. Sure. I mean... Interesting question. Do you expect be, to okay. have that data when you're 90, or do you expect that in that <laughs> interval of the next, like, 65 years, somebody's going to have that data that uh, you don't even have access to it anymore? I'm so... I'm kind of part of the class of weirdos that... I think some percentage of people are going to figure this out and f- engineer their own solution to yeah i mean it's not too hard to build your own like facebook client that like saves whenever you want to post on facebook instead of posting to facebook it saves to your own database and then it posts to facebook so you have a copy of that data at least you might not even have the technical license to it i don't even fucking know who knows anymore hmm. um but yeah all the photos you've ever taken and uploaded mostly are on facebook i don't really have like physical photos do you like my parents and grandparents have right. like physical photos in these scrapbooks but like most I of my shit some is physical photos just cuz it's kind of nice some shareholder driven company yeah there's there's something nice about having the physical photos so i have a few but yeah obviously uh mm. the vast majority of my photos are digital and i have quite a few that i never uploaded to facebook that i just have in my iphoto or whatever and backed up on my external hard drive and stuff but yeah, all those like nude photos you take, you take of yourself. Yeah. those are those are all on your iCloud. All those really Safe in your freaky account. like BDSM, yeah, hippie orgies. You're totally good. Um, just uploading all that to Apple's totally secure servers. I don't think anyone's nude photos have ever leaked out of those yeah. in the history of computers. So no, like don't worry about yeah, that. You know, if Mark Zuckerberg is checking out my photos because I put them in a private Facebook album then and he's masturbating to those then you know like, he's likely masturbating to <laughs> your photo I mean that's is the CEO of Facebook sort you know, of his prerogative the thing is I, I planted them there I put them there on purpose <laughs> as a type of performance art because I wanted to show Facebook that I wasn't afraid to do something wrong. I'm just totally bullshitting no. <laughs> now you're on a porn site I think here's actually I just had the brilliant thought that could be a section for the podcast is you bring up an aspect of society you think is going pretty well, and I'll explain to you the myriad <laughs> ways that whole area of thinking is doomed to a Titanic-esque failure yeah. in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I don't... This I is a very unique I, I, I mostly, and not I very agree with you, uplifting like skill set I have. The ability I mostly to... agree with you that things are going to shit, but <laughs> I just feel like it's so hard to predict nah, we'll where things are even going that I feel like, you know... I mean, what, what are your opinions about the idea of, like, a technological singularity quote-unquote after which <clears throat> basically like it's just impossible to predict what technology it's like super intelligent ai might devise and know and make possible or something okay i want to go a little bit meta with this conversation because there's two distinct lines of thought one of them is what i think about the world or like what predictions i can make about what likely things are going to happen yeah but then there's the level above that which is the kind of meta level, which is like, I'm saying it's impossible for anyone to have accurate data because everything that I know about the world is filtered through Facebook algorithm or Twitter algorithm or some kind of social graph machine learning algorithm or Hacker News is where I get a lot of my source of news, but Hacker News flags tons of stories that they just like, you know, stuff about the NSA and like stuff about 
controversial news stories, they just, like, kick off the front page. They just, like, don't tolerate controversial shit on Hacker News anymore. Hmm. It used to be kind of, like, a place where controversies happen and, like, people, like, high-level people in the industry, like, duked <clears throat> it out in the comments of Hacker News. It was, like, a really cool place, like, a really cool microcosm ecosystem of the internet. Like, you could see, like, the actual founders of these companies, like, debate the people, you know, like, it was an insane community. Um, but I, I sort of think just, like, a little bit over time, like, it's, they've kind of... Y Combinators become a little bit higher profile. They're kind of like, got this big startup thing going, so they like can't really, they have a public relations thinking module now where they're like kind of like, well, let's try to keep the most controversial shit off. And it's just like those little subtle things. Like by the time something happens in the world to the 17 chains of people that would be required to capture that information, transmit it across, geographically across the globe, set the proper context for it so you understand, you know, what the context is, make sure you understand the severity of it, like, pointing out proper news stories, like, what stories get ranked. There was this, um, do you get, do you know about the pilot who crashed a plane into the ground and killed 149 people in Germany? Yeah, I did yeah. know about that. That's insane. Yeah. That's probably one of the most insane, it's way more insane than the Malaysia Airlines thing, but, like, mm -hmm. I haven't heard about it anywhere yeah like, yeah, yeah. I've, i think I barely uh, heard about it somebody on facebook commented on this like some korean blogger that i follow said like <laughs> if this had happened in korea rest assured the american media oh, would be like all yeah. over like asian oh Asian, yeah uh, suicide rate leads to oh like, yeah for sure you know something like that I don't that know, sort like, of shit you know like, and that's but mm, that's really interesting yeah. yeah so you think also <laughs> you think back in korea you know you think back to like the ferry incident right it was kind of the thing in recent memory where there was a huge public kind of shame over this you yeah know, like it was it was one of the biggest news stories when that happened in yeah. the region uh it's totally can be seen as kind of like a sort of like i don't know a sort of double standard double thing. standard yeah i mean i think so and i don't know if that double standard is justified or not or like yeah where it really derives from but so getting back getting back to your original question like what do i actually think about what risky things are going to happen like what 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 is the most fucked thing that we should probably care about i'm saying like i don't even know because i'm my brain's fucked because i don't have any good information i can't like no one's <clears throat> no one is going to tell me why would anyone tell you the truth about something right like if you know information other people don't have then like you should trade that on the stock market and make lots of money like yeah I just, uh, I don't know, yeah, I also just feel like it's so incredibly unpredictable that there's just really, yeah, I agree, nobody nobody has the data, nobody can know exactly what might happen, but, uh... Yeah, let me, let me <laughs> okay, let me put it, let me, let me bring up an example, okay. We're a little stoned. <laughs> don't tell anyone, you gotta edit that out. <laughs> so we're adding in that part. Um, so one example is... Um, here, here, here's a thought experiment. So, a year or two ago, this guy named Aubrey de Grey started talking about... Excuse me. I've had a couple beers. Uh, started, started talking about rethinking how we think about aging. And instead of thinking about it more as this kind of like natural process, we have all these kind of cultural reasons for death. We learn to accept it early on. Like the fact that death is going to happen and it's around us and it's a natural part of life. Like... We have to kind of come up with a cultural story to tell ourselves to justify death being okay and, like, mm -hmm. just a part of life. There's this kind of movement in some of the radical parts of Silicon Valley to, like, say, like, well, okay, that's that's great for most of human history. That was a perfectly fine solution. But now we have, like, super crazy computers and biology and gene therapy and nanorobots and shit. So my thinking is, like, well, maybe we should, like, start to just, like, <clears throat> begin considering the possibility that death might be something that in the medium future is something that's like more you yeah, think yeah. of more in the I've realm of health this, yeah. you know than like other things yeah that's what... say, here's my question to you I'm sorry my question to you is if this <clears throat> technology was being developed or it's being progressed do you think you would know about it like do you like who would have an incentive to like let the world know about that information right immortality technology yeah like if yeah. i would say I, I, i'm right. guessing that i would if somebody has successfully like achieved immortality i'm guessing that that technology would be on the market and be like available at a very high price within the next like five years after that hmm. incident and i would really? know about it i would i would estimate that that's just basically like a I don't know, it's kind of a ballpark bullshit figure, but how could something like that not leak out, basically, is what I think. I I don't know, you know, 
things that, that big, like human beings achieve immortality, like somebody's going to want to make a pretty penny off that, and so it's going to hit the market. I think it's... We, we think about... So one problem is the information that I'm talking about, like when I'm talking about like who has access to this information about immortality technology, what I'm really saying is like who has access to the ability to contextualize the information that's already out there and understand what the implications are and how to like position themselves for it, I guess. What is there to contextualize? Like it's pretty easy to understand like somebody somebody doesn't die now. No, well that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Is that's not how it is. That's not what we're ta- we're not talking about like a binary jump where like, oh, we found the death pill and you take this and death is cured. It's more like no no no, it's like the it's like it's a paradigm shift in the in a philosophical health problem the, the problem of like the philosophy of health, I guess. Um, and there are tons of implications. I mean, obviously whatever techniques if, if we do get around to like implementing a technique for this like it's going to be highly stratified in a way that is going to totally transcend our like moral and legal order like how how would there not be like riots in the streets you know like or whatever yeah if, people he... <clears throat> on the verge of death like or that's that's an entirely different kind of story from like i don't know hmm. I, I don't know that's just an example but so the next necessary question if they invented that technology do you think you would do it uh i don't know i mean maybe i I don't know i can't i have no idea it's a tough question yeah my instinct is to think no i wouldn't do that i (sighs) really yeah interesting yeah I don't know, I just feel like, I don't know, 80 years, but with health, with medical technology improvements, we'll probably be able to live till we're like 150 or something anyway by the time I get up there, and so I feel like that's a pretty good chunk of time, and like living forever sounds pretty, Yeah. I don't know, kind of lame. I think as you get there, you probably would be more interested, you know. Yeah, I don't know, I, I guess... We're, we're, like, 20-something now. We're like, well, I feel fine now. Like, I'll live a totally happy yeah. life. It's like, that's how I made it. I'm like, no, 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 no. I changed my mind. Give me that. Yeah. I feel like the world more and more all the time is, like, watching a really, really entertaining TV show. Like, we're just at this historical moment where there's just so much shit going on. So much shit that's just like, what the fuck's going to happen next to the human race? Like, within the next 20 years, how much are things going to change? I would probably want to stay alive just to see how things progress, because they're only going to progress more and more in wilder directions in our lifetime. And I don't know if any, if anybody's, like, estimations of what's going to happen in the 21st century are even close to accurate. We're all just going to basically, like, see some... All right, let me convince, let me make some arguments for immortality, then. Um, Would you, how cool would it be to see another galaxy, right? I mean, like, think about mm. how fucking tight that would be. To see, to see a galaxy that is completely different from our own, like on another planet. If, wait, okay, so first like, of all, well, can, can you commit suicide if yeah, you do sure. immortality thing? sure, yeah. What if it was like a, you da- what if head. it was like you uploaded your consciousness to like a computer though and your consciousness just lived forever, like? I don't know about that. This is, we're complicating it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different question. I can't really. Would right, I be I just, uploaded to a kind? Of, I just wanted. To, I th- I thought we were saying like, would you take immortality? I didn't yeah. know it was like, oh, I can just kill myself at any time. Then maybe like, oh yeah, I could do that and then live as long as I wanted. And then when thing like when it was just like, yeah, it's it's been enough. Yeah, like, no, I'm saying if right. they. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't change the nature of. So that would be kind of fucked up because a lot of like rich people would be. Getting taking the immortality. Even think procedure. it'd be rich people. We think it'd be rich people, but it would really be people who know people. Hmm. In super elite circles. I mean, but with enough money, I bet you could buy that for yourself. Like as soon as as soon as it becomes possible, there are gonna be people that they can do it like fairly easily, and you know, just have the money. Like everything has a price. I feel like I don't know. That might be a platitude, but I feel like it's true. It's just. some rich people will buy that shit. I think of every billion, every billionaire is going to buy that shit. Like, if that shit hits the market tomorrow, 
Donald Trump and fucking Warren Buffett. And I don't know. Like, Wouldn't that suck if like just all the old Bill rich Gates. billionaires that like totally <laughs> fucked over everyone in the financial crisis? Like, oh, we won. We get the, we get the immortality drug. Cut off all the poor people. Like, it's just this group of billionaires. Like, just they're the ones who live throughout history, and they just like, yeah, Donald Trump. His he's correct. I wonder if something like that happening would seriously promote assassination attempts. Maybe a lot of people would be like. Fuck that, he's not immortal, and, like, just oh, be like, man. I'm gonna fucking prove that he's not living forever. Like, I'm gonna... I don't know. That could be fucked up, actually. That would be the ultimate class divide. Like, now there's a class of people that get access to immortality. It's literally, like, I don't know, the human the human dream, like, of an immortal soul or something being realized in the physical sphere. Like, that would just be absurd to be like... I feel like that's a really good plot for like a, or a, a good structure for a science fiction novel to talk about like a world in which there's a class of people that gets to live forever and like everyone knows it and uh, like they're then they're the normal people who die after like 60 years and some people have already been alive for say like 400 years by the time where the novel starts that yeah that would be pretty crazy <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, that would take some interesting imagining to concoct but uh what are we drinking tonight i'm drinking a bison organic chocolate stout stout brewed with peruvian cocoa listen to this in the ancient aztec kingdom cocoa beans were considered so precious that they were used as money on special occasions montezuma himself served his palace guests chocolate in goblets of beaten gold Wow. Imagine being served a goblet of beaten, a, like, beaten gold goblet full of chocolate, like, as a welcoming gift. That's pretty... It's pretty nuts. That is pretty nuts. Would you rather have a giant bowl of chocolate or immortality? That's, that's my <laughs> question. Giant goblet of chocolate? Is, do you think immortality is the point at which we admit that human beings are now superhuman? Like, Again, we're, we're, we're like, we, we admit that, like... Yeah, yeah, we're no longer, like, human is no longer a proper, like, we need to use a new category to talk about what some people are, like, they, they've, they're now, I don't know, super beings, like, paranormal, not, not paranormal, but just, like, you know, uh, have reached, like, another level, like, of, um, yeah, I, was, it's the central problem when talking about the future of technology, this is very, I guess this is one of the central things kind of from Ribbon Farm style thinking that I think is salient for most people. is like, the, we have these mental models of the world. Everything we're talking about, all the words we're using, mortality, immortality, right? These are like ancient words. These are like Greek words that like very primitive humans like came up with to describe extremely simple concepts about life and death and kind of like, you know, how people lived, like increasingly as we go into techn technological complexity m we we have a whole lot of this just linguistic and intellectual baggage that these kind of old concepts that were important evolutionary like we needed to have some kind of cultural stories around life and death and god and the afterlife it's like there's no economic reason for us to waste energy thinking about that shit immortality or like the process of stopping aging through science or whatever i don't know what you want to call it is going to be it's going to be different it's going to be different to experience it than anything you know we could possibly imagine before it happens because it's radically different using gene therapy to change the structure of the genetic code of humans that still is, i mean this has been this has been a topic for the last 25 years and like no one still knows what it is or like why it's important that like we now have this capability. Do you think that the, yeah, immortality, we'll call it possibility, is an exception to the rule established in another Ribbon Farm post that we experience the future as like a... What, it's what? a mediated reality. It's a manufactured reality field. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly what... We need basically. We have a specialized. Well, let, class let's unpack people. that and explain that yeah, to sure. the layman who doesn't understand the concept. Basically, 
the idea is that, you know, we're in this time where all this advancement is happening, all these crazy things are foreseen, but when the future actually comes to us, it doesn't seem that shocking or outstanding. It's just like, oh, a new version of the iPhone in my hand, but gradually over time, you know, there's really been some insane things happening, but as they come, I don't know, people, for the most part, just kind of just take them in stride or, you know, yeah. is that so, kind of the gist of it? Yeah, yeah. So I can explain this in terms of kind of the mental models kind of thing that I was talking about, right? We have these mental models of how the universe works based off of past stuff. And generally, uh, something marketers have learned is to um, you basically recycle and reuse these kind of like concepts that already exist in your brain but kind of like repurpose them with new packaging or new kind of technology behind it. Mm -hmm. So one example of that is, you know, we think of Facebook, right? Facebook is marketed specifically as like, you think of the word Facebook, it's a book of faces. It kind of reminds you of a yearbook, right? There's kind of affordances built into our psychology to think about the concept of a yearbook because that's like, you know, we have looked through books of faces before and it's kind of associated with a sort of like social activity right we're kind of like gossiping we're maybe gossiping about different people in our class right or we're looking at pictures of girls we thought were cute you know like facebook was chosen very specifically because it fits this kind of pattern of you know and that's why it's a really good name but in reality if you look at the reality of what facebook is in the physical world facebook is miles of huge electronic machines that are crunching vast numbers of electrical signals and data like face like fa the the manifestation of facebook is not a yearbook in the physical sense it's like actually something completely fucking different and wild and like totally incomprehensible the average person has no idea about the insane amount of complex technological software stacks <coughs> layers yeah. power plants that feed into like a network yeah and facebook and shit that's a hell of an example so we have to basically it's a really good example the whole ribbon farm idea about people we, we have a specialized class of people that mediate these realities for us. We basically, like, we ha we call them specialists. So, like, you know, instead of having to worry about what the computer stuff is, we have, like, a computer specialist that, like, oh, their job is to translate this complicated, weird, strange science reality into, like, you know, terms that or like, mm -hmm. experiences that make sense to my dumb mind that, like, <laughs> most, most minds, like I said, like, most people just, like, kind of operate off of, like, extremely primitive kind of like you know mental models like not many people yeah you know yeah facebook does kind of seem like a yearbook type thing but then the, another way that i thought about it of like the concealed complexity of what's going on it's like like let's think about for a minute what facebook really allows everyone to do like a huge chunk of the world's population is now on facebook and for that chunk of the world which will probably eventually be most people in the world any human being can now basically just instantaneously locate a bunch of information about any given person in the world. There's just this enormous, enormous database. Like it's it's like the human cataloging project almost. Like at the same time, like so many humans are on yeah. Facebook, and it's, it's and there's so much information there about every one of those humans. <laughs> And a lot of it's public, so you can really just go on there and, like, type in Hafez and find, like, the 400 guys with that in their, guys and gals with that in their name and just kind of look at those people and their lives and get some, like, vague sense of who they are. Like, even, like, that's pretty strange to think about in terms of, like, gathering data and the, like, potentially sinister ways that that could be utilize like to know that much about so many people but it's also just weird to think of it as like almost like a like how this techno prosthetic of like a macbook and facebook is extending the capabilities of the human mind like suddenly the human mind like we're, we're essentially cyborgs when yeah. instantaneously we can enter we can enter a few buttons and we can see this information about like this huge you know there are so many humans on this planet and yet we have this cloud accessible like immediately to us we can just yeah go look at someone's face like on the so, other side of the planet and so here's something we don't know and i think this is really great i think you <laughs> let up kind of here's my ultimate point <coughs> we actually we originally started this with the prompt of what is the how are we the most fucked or like what is the like what is the most doomed aspect of our society 
I think that's a good lead up into it. And here's here's what I believe. Okay, you are absolutely correct in that computer technology fundamentally changes the capabilities of humans. It extends our minds and our and our reach to knowledge that's happening across the globe in real time. It's fundamentally shakes a, a whole bunch up a whole bunch of stuff about kind of you know how we interface with the world, how we get information. It's all from kind of electronic devices. And the scary thing is, or how we're totally fucked, is we've never been at a point in history where other humans who are competing with us ostensibly for resources or whatever are able to get in between our perception of the world and the world Mm-hmm. at such a scale and complexity that the world has never seen before. And what I mean by that is, you know how we're talking about how Facebook is this abstraction, and Facebook's really made up of this vast network of computers and electricity and messaging and networks. The people who understand what's going on there, if you understand technically what's going on at each parts of those layer, then every single one of those layers of abstraction is a potential vector point for malicious actors to get inside that chain and manipulate your information Mm -hmm. slightly yeah (laughs) does that does that because like anyone if you people if if there's an exposed piece of wire between the facebook server and 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 my house Mm -hmm. then the nsa can tap into that they can read that message they can in some cases change the contents of that message yeah. So, uh, or I mean, drop yeah. packets. One way, to, one good example to think about this is to think about like, think of it as uh, these enormous web entities can manipulate basically the architecture of your experience on the web, and they won't. They aren't necessarily manipulating like the direct thing that you're getting, but they're manipulating like the invisible context of the thing. Like, for example, you might remember the re- sort of recent Facebook scandal in which. Mm. Facebook yeah. manipulated the news feeds of some like eight hundred thousand users or something yeah. in a like really <sighs> kind of sort of sinister like ex- social experiment and basically I think just it managed to manipulate people's emo- emotions in like an angry direction by show mm-hmm. by showing more like uh, you know emotionally provocative items on the news feed. And so, I mean, this is a pretty... Yeah. Like, it's not hard to imagine how some really Orwellian shit could go down if some yeah. of these, like, enormous web you don't entities... <laughs> the incredible thing, too, is the banality of how this is actually implemented in the world. It's not... You know, we, we really... we By default, we tend to think of, like, a group of conspirators somewhere in a black room that are like, ooh, okay, how do we manipulate the public to buy our products more? No, no, it's more just, like, a variety of very small decisions that are kind of, like, shuffled around organizations. Like, maximizing profit in a company isn't done by, like, a shadowy central group of people. It's everyone in the organization is doing the best thing that they can individually to just kind of try to improve things, you know? And, like, those very Mm -hmm. actions of kind of what appear to just be random, like, you know? And one of the biggest things everyone's coordinating to try to do is to try to make the facade of Facebook or whatever it is, like, to never have a crack in it, for it to just appear, like, as this friendly, benevolent entity that just basically wants to be your friend and help you in life. Like, you know, every app has just kind of a, like cutesy lettering and like look to it and like nice inviting colors and stuff i mean that's you know this is pretty basic stuff but you know that all that all feeds into it it's all like creating a user experience of like that doesn't even make people that that basically makes people not want to consider what the deeper reality of facebook is but just really just want to bathe in the you know um the surface level experience which is you know not it's easy to understand why that's the case. I do that all the time. Pull up Facebook and just browse through my feed and appreciate what the app is serving me and how it's allowing me to interact with people in the world. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is a good stopping point for a moment because I kind of want to get another beer. I could just push pause and go get a beer. Yeah, we, we could just, just load up. A- you just push pause. Uh, this is a commercial break. Transition. 
Hey, yeah, so that was actually the end of Chris Johnson and I's wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Now I'm going to end the podcast by sharing a never-before-released song that I made. Made this song, wow, I guess it's been probably almost a year and a half ago or something like that. A year and a half ago. Oh, actually, shit. I guess it's been, wow, it's actually been over two years ago that I I made this song. Um, I made it, I made it while I was in South Korea, actually, and there's some lyrics in the song referencing South Korea, so, um, yeah, I'm gonna copy this thing that Open Mike Eagle does. At the end of his podcasts, he often shares never-before-released songs of his and so I feel like that's a pretty cool thing to do. I might sometimes also share songs that I have released and just want to force down your ear holes some more. <laughs> but uh, I like the idea of releasing unreleased songs because, like this one in particular, I really like this song, but for whatever reason, it was one of my early tracks and it hasn't made it onto an album or anything, and so it just kind of sits there and no one hears it. So, give you guys a chance to hear it and... I don't know. If someone's really crazy, you can download this episode and, like, cut this part off at the end and, like, upload it to YouTube or something. But, uh, yeah, no one has to do that at all. But I'm, I'm just saying, I suppose I'm leaking this into the interwebs. And it could, yeah, once you do that, shit can go anywhere. So, anyway, here is the song New Sincerity that 2014, early 2014 Jordan Bates made in South Korea in his small apartment in Duck Chun. Peace. Uh, oh, and one more thing. Shout out to Corey Altenhofen for making this beat. Um, Corey Yeo is his producer name. C-O-R-Y-A-Y-O. Look him up on Bandcamp SoundCloud. He's really tight. This was an early beat of his, so... Yeah. And also, this was one of my really early tracks, like I mentioned. Um, I had just started recording some of my shit within the last probably month or two maybe of making this so something like that enjoy i celebrated in 99 when i defeated bowser now it's 2014 i'm drinking wine in a korean shower I've lived for 8,333 days, man, yowzers. Remember me chuckling at Tito, that chunky dude on rocket power? Now I'm reading Freud and Schopenhauer. Aren't my beanie babies worth something by now or whatever? This minute hand is a gouger. We lock time in a clock, but it grows all the louder. I mean, I'm relatively new to this planet, right? 22 odd years can't be much more than a fortnight. Pardon me if I'm overly forthright, but in theory, I could stop existing tomorrow. So I feel compelled to shed some code more slight on this strange life. I think I borrowed it. And I'm not always honest, but who is? Urban landscapes make me feel bootlegged I like to slow dance with poetic expressionism Wild said that means my temperament is receptive shizzle He's probably right, I'd probably love you senseless Kiss you softly when you're down and defenseless Was that too sentimental? Blasted its new sincerity combined with Apparently a pear is green and the impulse to dismantle managerial squares And Dairy Queens I celebrated in 99 when I defeated Bowser in 2014. I'm drinking wine in a Korean shower. I've lived for 8,333 days. Yowzers.